Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Hey, you guys are really going to enjoy the show today because we have with us Greg Riley and Greg Danielson. Now, you may not have heard of them before, but these are two individuals who were until recently had a W-2 job. In fact, a very successful W-2 job. They're both now full-time and have now a managing 400 units of multifamily real estate all acquired in 2022, last year, when a lot of people said it's impossible to do deals. Dave did a variety of deals, both as co-GPs, meaning we're capital raisers, and also now as operators as well. And they really talk about their story and how they overcome a lot of limiting and false beliefs. We're going to get to that in just a second. I just want to give a shout out to Joe Hornet, who gave us a review on iTunes. This is a great show. Michael and Garrett do a great job of encouraging a new entrepreneur. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. If you're listening to this and you're enjoying the show, we'd love to have that give you a review as well. But also what I would love for you to do is to share this podcast with one other person. I was talking to Greg and, and Dan here. When they started going out, they were very excited about what they discovered about apartment buildings. And wouldn't it be cool to share this with other people? Just go to your podcast app, find that share icon and send them the link to this podcast. It might change their life as well. So thank you so much for doing that and for inviting other people into our community. Want to give a success highlight as well. We always try to recognize people who have done a first deal. This one is by Andy Prechtel. He's a German guy. I'm from Germany, little known secret as well, but he now lives in California with his wife and, and his kid. And he wanted flexibility and freedom to spend time with his both his German and American families. And that's how he came to real estate in 2019. And like so many of us, he started first in, in investing carefully in single family house, but just realized he couldn't achieve financial freedom in that way. And that's when he started looking into freedom, into multifamily. He found us, our podcast, bought the SDA to start doing underwriting. And he had partnered with a mentor. A lot of our mentors actually co-GP with their students. And they closed on his first deal, which was an 86-unit property in Arkansas. So they got on a contract for $3 million and raised $1.35 million. So Andy, congratulations on that. Really love that trajectory. If you're interested in our mentoring program, check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. We really have the best program on the planet. We actually guarantee that you will do your first deal as a GP in the first 12 months. Otherwise, we'll continue working with you until you do. And it's just a great way to have someone, an experienced full-time syndicator, look over your shoulder. You'll learn every single aspect of analyzing deals, finding markets, and raising capital, all that stuff as part of the mentoring program. So check us out. It's a no obligation call. Just schedule that call and, and explore where that goes. I want to talk to I'm reading a book right now, and it's called 10X is Easier Than 2X. It's by Dan Sullivan. He's been around for many, many years. He's the founder of Strategic Coach, which has raised, I don't know, tens of thousands of people. And the book is interesting. The premise really is that 10X is easier than 2X. And the reason that he argues this way is that 10X thinking requires you to think out of the box. In other words, 2X thinking is simply doing more of what you've already been doing. But 10X thinking requires you to almost, no, to throw away what you've been doing in the past because that previous thinking is never going to get you 10X. In other words, you have to completely 
almost forget everything that you've done before and really think about new ways of doing things. And the reason this is important, especially for this podcast and interview, but in general, is if you're thinking of financial freedom, okay, what does that require? If you're thinking financial freedom, it's going to require you letting go of what? Your job. Now, that sounds like a good idea, but think it through for a second. And Dan and Greg grappled with this, as you hear in a second in the podcast, is, you know, if you have a steady job, you're used to a certain lifestyle. You're used to stability, a regular paycheck, maybe some benefits, okay? I mean, this is these are all good things. There's a certain level of comfort and security in knowing you have a job, even though it could be gone tomorrow, you could be let go, and, and, and I get all that. But the point is, mentally, it's very difficult to let go of that. And if you want to become financial free, you have to learn how to let go of that 2x thinking of what got you to this place in the, in the first place. And that's really hard to do. So I want you to get your head around that, especially as you listen to, to Dan and Greg talk about they had a great career. Many of you listening to this thing have really good careers. And, you know, if your current life ain't so bad, it's really difficult to go after something that is maybe a little bit more uncertain, not as, not as known and certainly riskier. And so why are you doing it? This is why you have to be very clear about why, what you want to do, why you want to let go of your job. And that is really because you are looking to play on a bigger stage. You're looking for a completely different lifestyle that's not possible with 2x thinking. It's only possible with 10x thinking. That is to basically work to do something that generates passive income so you can do the things that you can otherwise do. You could travel more, spend more time with your family, work on your own terms, actually over the years build up generational wealth, which you can't do in a W-2, right? So those are things you're gaining, but I want you to think about that while these things really sound cool, and they are, that also requires you to give up something that you have right now. So I've talked about a lot about the interview with Dan and Greg. You're going to love the story. We're going to talk a lot around through these things, They, how they got into the deal, how they overcame a lot of these limiting and false beliefs. Both Dan and Greg had them. They were slightly different, though. How they were able to let go of their job and then how they were able to leverage their previous relationship into now partners in you know 400 plus units. Let's get right into the show with Dan and Greg. Dan and Greg, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Great to be here. Great to be here, Michael. Thanks for having great us. To, great to see you guys. So first of all, you guys are all full-time. Before we go into how you did that, because everyone wants to know, oh my gosh, how, how do I you know, quit my job or exit whatever I'm doing? Tell us about your last day. What were you, what were you doing when you basically exited whatever you were doing? Greg, why don't you go first? What yeah, was that day like? Michael. So ironically, my last day was the day that I flew out to Dealmaker Live last year. So on my last day, I had a couple calls in the morning. It was kind of a bittersweet day because I had spent 14 years building my career at the same firm. And I was going to stay on part-time for a few months, but it was my last full-time day. And then later that afternoon, I got on a flight to Dallas to go to Dealmaker Live with Dan. So what was going on? How did people react to you, your coworkers, your friends, your family, when that's, this happened? Yeah, they were definitely shocked. You know, I walked away from a, a long career and a long tenure at a firm. And I think people were just shocked that I was walking away from stability of a of a good job and healthy income. And a, a, sort of my default future at that firm was going to be very positive. It was going to be, you know, a lucrative career. And people were just shocked that I would that I would yeah. leave that and didn't have something lined up, as as they call it, right? What career did you throw away, Greg? I, I started entry level 14 years ago in a consulting firm. So we do business optimization for large companies. The last few years of my tenure there, I was a partner and an executive with a large team and big name clients all over the country. A demanding job that you know I learned a lot from and ultimately decided that the second half of my career, I wanted to be different. 
So people were shocked when you announced that you would leave. But I mean, what was that like? Was that like, yeah, awesome? Or was it really like disconcerting? Was it fun? Like, what yeah. was that like? It, it was exciting for me, but it was also bittersweet. You know, I had a lot of, I still do have a lot of great relationships with the people that I was in the trenches with for all those years. I still keep in touch with everyone, but I think it was one of those, you know, once I decided that I was going to go a different direction, it, they were excited for me, but also it's just, it's sad because our relationship will never be the way that it was when we were working together so closely. So ultimately, you know, bittersweet, I'd say. Did, did anyone ask you how you did it? And, and more importantly, did anyone express enough curiosity to try to walk in your footsteps? Absolutely. I mean, people are very intrigued and curious and it's fun to talk about, right? So it's like one of the reasons I'm doing is because, you know, people ask me what I'm doing and what I'm, what I'm going to be doing. I light up, right? I'm so excited to talk to people about it. So I got to tell my story to all sorts of people and continue to, as people reach out to say what I'm doing now. So absolutely. That's pretty cool. Daniel, what's, what's your story? How was that like with that transition? Yeah, I, I would have to say bittersweet as well. For me, that was a, I had built a company over a nine-year period, had a lot of success. Again, just like Greg, it was a big-time job. We were making it very lucrative and had a good long-term path, but it just wasn't aligned with my you know goals long-term. So the reality was same exact answer there, bittersweet. Folks were curious as to where I was going and why I would, quote-unquote, throw away, you know, a company I spent eight years building. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Why would you throw something away? Like you both, I mean, spent years, decades building up careers. Greg, why would you consider throwing something like that away? You said stability, comforts, paycheck, lifestyle. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it, it came down for me is, is I... I had determined kind of in lots of conversations with my wife and this executive coaching group that I'm in that, you know, what do I want my life to be like? And I wanted to be having dinner with my family more often. I wanted to be coaching my kids' soccer teams. I wanted to be a more present dad and husband. So when I look at the second half of my career, it's like, how can I have more time freedom to be able to achieve big things in business, but also do it on my terms in terms of like my time freedom. So, you know, like a lot of people, I was chasing what's on your shirt, Michael, freedom, right? Time, freedom of my time, and my calendar. So ultimately that's it. It was about what did I want the second half of my career to be like? And that's what I started to you know, chart out. Now, what allowed you to do that? Because there's one thing, wanting something, okay? Wanting freedom, wanting more money, wanting a better body, whatever, okay? Something. But what sets you apart for maybe some people who would not be prepared to do that? What? How did you overcome that gravity force, that black hole, that status quo that wanted to suck you back in? Yeah, I was in that phase for a long time, Michael, where I was reading all the books, listening to all the podcasts and analysis paralysis phase. But what, what, what started to move me in the right direction was just what are the little actions that I can take? And for me, it was reaching out to people who were on podcasts at the end when you'd say, how can people get a hold of you? I started to do that. So I just started to try to have a meeting a month in the beginning with people that were already doing it. And then I got a lot of energy from those conversations. So I would do a couple meetings a month with people who were already doing it that I had you know, met through podcasts or, or other people in the area that were doing multifamily full time. And that started to create a lot of momentum in those relationships. Interesting. Yeah, momentum is is everything, and it sounds it sounds like for you, and for for me, and maybe others listening. Well, you start momentum by doing little tiny things and building on top of that. 
Daniel, how were you able to overcome that? Because here's the thing. I mean, I talked to a lot of people all the time who say they want one thing or another, and they never really are able to break free. And I, I think one of the reasons is that if your current life ain't so bad, you have a really strong, almost overwhelming plan B. And so when you embark on anything, anything in, in life and it gets a little hard, you're like, ah, that was for the birds anyway. And you go back to what was plan B now is, is plan A. How were you able to able to, yeah, to escape that? Yeah, I looked at it really as a graduation moment rather than a, a throwing away, right? It was a, a desire to play on a bigger stage. I had experienced freedom in my life. I, I had, you know, financial lucrative outcomes and I'd had some schedule freedom, you know, in my day owning a business. But the reality was I was still attached, you know, to a desk and responding. So really it was about changing my beliefs and knowing that there was something better out there. And for me, you know, heavily coached and mentored and a lot of great feedback from a lot of folks said, you know, Dan, the way you're making money seems like a really tough way to do it. I think there's easier ways to do it. Maybe owe it to yourself and your family to explore some other options rather than just committing to the one path that you committed to eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What what are some of the other mindset issues, limiting beliefs, false beliefs, Greg, that you were dealing with when you started getting into real estate? So let's rewind the clock a little bit more. What were you dealing with when you first started thinking about real estate or even apartment buildings? What were some of those beliefs that you were struggling with at the time? Yeah, the beliefs was I didn't have enough experience or knowledge to be able to do it. You know, who am I to to talk to this broker about acquiring a property having never done it before? So, you know, that was a big one. So I just thought if I read more books and listen to more podcasts, I'll eventually get the knowledge I need to be able to have that conversation. And and that just just wasn't right. So one of the mindset things that we still talk about really every week, Dan and I is. I'm not going to be the reason why this doesn't happen, or we're not going to be the reason why this doesn't happen. So we just say, what do we need to do to not be the reason this doesn't happen? So that puts the ball in our court to look in the mirror and say, what do we need to do to make this happen? So, you know, it was just to get that confidence to be able to take those little steps. So it's it's not, it, you're not even asking how to do something necessarily. You, you're just saying what needs to happen and you're not spending as much time on the how. Did I hear you right? Exactly. And basically, how do we do everything in our power to make sure this happens? If some outside force is the reason why this doesn't happen, maybe the, the broker says no or the bank says no, great. But let's not be the reason why it doesn't happen. So let's do everything that we're supposed to do to try to move the ball forward. So get out of your own way a little bit. And and I, I think, I mean, for, for uh, analytical people, I mean, like myself, you know, I need to figure out how sometimes to make things happen. And that that sometimes holds me back from Absolutely. proceeding because I don't have the, all the answers on the same. So when I find myself moving forward without all the answers, that's when I can move forward. Otherwise, I might say, oh, I don't have all the answers. And so I'm going to hold back. Daniel, what were you struggling with? What are some or one or two things that, that stand out for you? Yeah. And related to, you know, to the investing we're doing now, it really was the scale of it. So I had had history of owning single family homes. I had mm -hmm. a portfolio of up to, we had seven homes at one point across two states that so I had a taste of of passive income and, and the financial rewards of real estate investing. But the idea of moving from I, I was prepared to go to a duplex and a triplex, right? But the the famous story amongst Greg and I and in our firm is that we were on a, a neighborhood walk with some some buddies around the hood. And at the end of this walk, I told Greg about my plan of selling a couple of the single families and then buying a triplex locally. 
By the way, we live in Newport Beach where a triplex sells at 300 to 700K per door. So, you know, my, my idea was how could I ever go to anything larger than that? Greg's exact phrase was, you know what I would do? I'll lock up a hundred unit building and figure it out. And that phrase, that concept of like lock up a hundred unit building, like, what are you talking about? But the reality was, Michael, that was a matter of hours, maybe days before that belief was completely shattered, partially from your book and from some other folks that, that have done this. And I just, all of a sudden, yeah, that belief was changed overnight to, of course I can do that. We just got to put the energy to it and make it happen. It's amazing how you can expand your comfort zone. And I've had a similar experience. Just simply walking a large building literally will, it's the same as years and years of flipping houses or doing something. Because flipping houses is a very slow process. And even at, and you have now, I flipped houses, you held some houses. It really doesn't get you there. I mean, even three, four, five years of single family house investing still doesn't get your mind. But then touring a hundred unit building, very quickly, you're like 25 unit looks small all of a sudden, just because it looked at a hundred unit building. There's hacks like that. You don't come up with that kind of stuff yourself. You either read it or you hear it, or you have a coach or mentor just suggest these things. And it's surprising how you can, I would say, play with your mind and very, you know, and, and hack your mind almost in, in that way. Uh, Greg, how did you overcome that, that lack of experience? I mean, this comes into play when you're, for example, calling brokers. You know, a lot of people were like, well, I, I can't analyze deals because I don't have any, I don't deals to look at because they'd have to talk to a broker to get a deal. And there's this, there's this, this fear of talking to brokers or even investors. And how did you overcome that, that fear? Yeah, for me, I think it was a partnership with Dan that really helped me with some of that confidence is being able to have somebody quickly to do a little prep call with, Hey, I'm going to call this broker today. Here's the deal. Can we run through it real quick? Just to be able to have somebody throughout the day to like bounce ideas off of and do it, you know, call it a quick dry run of how the call should go, what the conversation is going to be like. That was helpful for me. So just not to be in my own head, have somebody to give you some advice and affirming thoughts. That was a big thing. So the partnership with Dan has really been helpful. And then mentorship. I mean, Dan, is very action oriented. So when I sort of gave him this idea to do larger investing and pointed him in the right direction, he was off to the races, Michael, and he was signed up for the mentor. So we benefited tremendously also from the mentorship program to be able to also have those calls with the, our mentor to be able to say, here's where we're at. What else do we need to consider? You know, make sure we were just covering all our bases. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. So it sounds like, Dan, you're kind of an, an action taker, even though you credit Greg with the idea. That's correct. That's exactly where it's at. And I think that's part of how the partnership works. And I'll say, Michael, for me, it was about you know transitioning the skills that I had had from a previous business and just moving them over right to this business. It's sales, you know, raising money, operations, same thing as managing my team. I used to manage a P&L and had a credit line for the business. I now have a P&L and a, a debt you know, service for my building. So it was just a matter of transitioning those over. But importantly, having a mentor and having other folks in the business that could just help, help you get over that chasm, right? That little difference, that little nuance that you need to understand. Greg and I did a great job of recruiting 
people to give us that advice and help us get over those hurdles. How did you guys find each other? <laughs> Long story there. Actually, 10 plus years ago, I did an engagement for Greg's firm. We partnered together on, on a deal. And then I guess the, the best part of the story is we had run each other a few other times, but we purchased homes about six doors down from each other, completely un- unaware that we were doing so. So we now live you know, a couple hundred feet away and uh, families are integrated and it's a good thing. That's pretty cool. So who, who came to whom first about getting into apartment buildings? Was that, was that the idea man, Greg, or was that maybe you? That was Greg on the apartments. That was Greg, I think, came to me a, a couple of years ago about my single family portfolio, interested into how that worked. And again, he was already on the idea of apartments first, right? He was going to skip the single family thing. And so he was looking at my experience as a single family and I was looking at him like, what's this apartment thing? So... Greg, how were you able to skip the single family house? I mean, Daniel and many other people aren't are able to do that. Like, no, I need to do this first. It's a stepping stone. Yeah. And you're like, no, I don't think so. What what allowed you, what gave you the confidence to, from, a, from a mental perspective to skip that step? Just all the content I had been consuming, Michael. I had listened to so many people's stories, you know, Bigger Pockets and then your your podcast on, on learning that lesson through other people. So I learned from other people that, you know, they had realized even after they had done a lot of single family investing, it wasn't scalable. You know, I, I, but I was headed down that path. I was making some offers on some single family homes back in Iowa, thinking that's what my path was going to be. And then as I was learning, I kind of pulled back on that and said, well, no, that's not really the path. So I, I then shifted to investing as an LP in multifamily deals when I learned about syndication. So skip single family, went to LP investing. And that's how I was able to also learn before I was becoming active in it. So you guys got together before that first deal. Is that right? Yep. So, yep. so how did you go about then looking for that first deal, raising money? Talk to talk about your first deal. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. So first one was, so I had had a, you know, an exit from my business and was effectively free for a number of months and was you know, building up the courage to make this my full-time endeavor. Greg and I were obviously communicating constantly during that 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 time, and a deal came up locally with another sponsor that had locked up a great deal, built a great business plan, and he had had years of institutional experience as you know as an employee of a larger fund. However, a couple of weeks away from closing, he was short on on capital, so the invitation came to Greg and I that if hey if you guys could fill up the eight hundred grand that we're missing, then we'd invite you to the GP team and you can have an active role in managing the property long term. It was local building. So this just checked so many boxes. So Greg and I said, all right, let's go for it. And then that's when action-oriented Dan went in. I called 30 of my my best friends, told them what I was going to be investing in and saw if they had any interest in it. Five days later, a number of referrals later, we had had all that capital verbally committed to and progressed until that becoming our first deal. So, So a lot of times people are very anxious to raise capital because obviously they've never done, done it before. And, and then they are very hesitant to ask friends and family because they're afraid to lose someone else's money. How did you prepare for that? I mean, it, it sounded like you just started picking up the phone and calling. Did you have any kind of training or did you have, did you practice on your friends first? How, how did you leg into that? Yeah, honestly, the, the phrase that I, I said, and I said it with total honesty and still say it today, I'm going to be investing this deal. And this is why maybe you should consider it too. As simple as that, right? So that first deal, sure, there was trepidation and, and not a full understanding of 
the deal like I understand them now, but the reality is I was putting my own hard earned money into that deal. I believed in the deal and I was sharing with a number of folks what I was doing. And the reality, Michael, what wasn't, hey, that's cool. The response was, whoa, what? Where's that? Can I see the OM as well? Wait a second. You're going to put how much in? Yeah, l- let's have a meeting around that. So that was what happened. I, I come from a sales background. I'm used to having I'm used to reaching out. I'm reaching to pick up the phone. And if someone's uninterested, I, I, I'm, you know, I can take that. But the reality is everyone was interested and everybody wanted to tell their friends about it. So it caught a lot of momentum. And that's how we got over that hurdle of capital raising. So much momentum. So when you when you raise capital, how did you go about it? I mean, obviously you had a very unique angle. So, hey, I'm in, you were, I think you mentioned the word sharing. You were sharing that you're investing in an apartment building deal. Yep. And I mean, did you, how, to what degree did you try to close down your friend or family member? How did that conversation go? Give us an example of that. Sure. First of all, we never close. You know, it's, it's not a sales game. So instead, what, what really what occurred was something I called the 100 coffee campaign. And this was prior to my decision to go full scale into real estate. It was really just a way for me to, hey, I'm going to pause in my career. I'm going to reinvent myself. Might as well go have coffee with 100 interesting people. Tell them what I'm up to and see what's going on. I, I had a belief that opportunities would be created through those meetings regardless. So I went in with just authentic interest in them. And I wanted to tell them what I was doing. And, it, uh, you know, out of those first 30 coffees, apartment investing came up every single time. This is something I'm doing. This is something I'm looking, moving toward. And every single person wanted to hear more. Every single one person wanted to introduce me to someone that they knew. And therefore, there was never a sales conversation or closing. I'm doing this. I'm excited about it. Hey, Dan, we like you and we trust you. Let's do it too. So apartments came up every single time. Was that coincidence or did you, did you perhaps steer the conversation? I don't say I'd steer it. I was simply just talking about what I was most excited about, right? Hey, you sold your company. Cool. What are you going to do now? Honestly, I think I'm going to go buy apartment buildings. What? That was effectively how it went, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing. A lot of people get confused by raising money because you think that you're closing people, begging people, manipulating people, but really you're sharing your enthusiasm, right? And so I love that coffee with 100 interesting people, right? Because it's a way to catch up. And of course, apartments is now a part of that and it'll invariably come up in your story. Because people want to know what's new with you. And I think that's a really, really non-threatening way to raise money. Now, Greg, how do you guys split your partnership and your roles and responsibilities between the two of you? I'm probably more focused on the acquisition side. I I, I really enjoy the broker conversations and underwriting the deals. We do a lot of that together, but I'll take the first pass at almost every deal we underwrite. And then I'll have Dan sort of stress test it. We'll go through it together. So I'm more on the front end of acquisitions, broker relationships, and underwriting. Whereas Dan's you know, got his newsletter. He's got, he, he's leading the charge on that capital raise, but also I'm very involved in helping, helping him in that part of the business as well. What I like about that is you guys have cleared an delineation of roles and I've seen partnerships not work so well because everybody was involved in everything and just, just there's no clear accountability. Now you mentioned a newsletter, Dan, why, why are you doing a newsletter? I started that in a prior business. I developed a, you know, a monthly newsletter as a way to touch base and keep in contact with customers. After I left, I again, it was the same idea with the 100 coffees. I wanted a way to con- continue to connect and put my face and story with people that I knew and I liked. So I, I started writing a-, a little 300, 500 word blurb about something that I was learning in my life that started to get a lot of positive feedback and has gained some momentum. So now we're coming up on my, it'll be my 12th episode this next this next month. And it's very powerful and it's brought a lot of our investors 
to us. It's a natural magnet and and conversation starter. So how so? In other words, why are you doing, because it obviously takes a lot of time to think about topics, write the topics. What do you think it's doing for your business? Yeah. I mean, I think what it does is it, it, it aligns, it, it aligns me with people who believe the things that I believe. So for example, last, last newsletter was about blinders on focus and having total conviction around what you're doing. So that lands in the inbox of people who are in the middle of their workday and they're struggling with their conviction or they're struggling with focus and they go, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I need to have blinders on. And, and that's just naturally, Michael, it's just, I, I, I like Dan. I trust Dan. I want to hear more about Dan. And, and that's just how it continues to go. So I get a lot of responses with, hey, that was perfectly timed. I really needed that, that input. And then I, I will put just a couple of sentences at the bottom of every newsletter updating what I'm doing in my professional life. So, hey, we have apartment investing happening. We're doing this business over here. If you want to learn more, contact me. That's cool. And then how are you getting referrals? Because you mentioned referrals, and I think that's key because even if you, you you hang out or you reach out with friends and family and people say, well, yeah, I'm out. Like, how do I expand my network? And referrals, of course, is the secret to doing that. How do you approach your investors or friends and family? How do you get referrals out of them? I, we have a, Greg, Greg and I both have a, a mentor that we share and, and a life coach. And one of his famous phrases is that, your success will be defined by the stories that influential people tell about you because you've earned their trust. The stories that influential people have told about you because you've earned their trust. And honestly, Michael, that's it. Like I go about every day looking to earn trust and be worthy of people telling stories about me. And I found that if they do that, naturally opportunities, referrals, and the phone rings. Yeah. So is there anything you, you do actively? And I, I agree with you. If you're a trustworthy person, you know, people like and trust you, they're going to talk about you more. Is there anything tactically that you do to maybe encourage that? Sure. I think two things. One is that just bring a lot of authentic energy to a conversation and about a subject. And then two is that I'm just naturally curious and I really love hearing about other people. So I ask a lot of questions. And I think in an average conversation, I spend less than 50% of the time talking. I love hearing other people. And I think that natural curiosity combined with the enthusiasm and authentic enthusiasm, it's non-threatening and people have a natural tendency and they want to share that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, Greg, you do a lot of acquisitions here. So after your first deal, you guys raised $800,000, you're now a GP. You've, you see kind of deal, how the deal goes, goes down. You're maybe doing some asset management, a site visit. You've learned a lot. What have you done or what are you doing right now on the acquisition side? Yeah, so we we co-GP'd three times before we decided then to go be the lead sponsor on our own deal. So I'll, I, I guess I'll start with when we decided to go, we learned what we were going to learn from the three projects we did as co-GPs. And we said, we're either going to be capital raisers who join other people's deals, or we're going to go find our own deal. So that was a critical part in our business where we said, okay, now we got to find a market. And we have to, we believe that one or two maybe markets going deep into those markets will give us a competitive advantage. So we set on this path of weeks and months to find our market. So that was the first step. And, and we were underwriting every single deal in those markets, building those relationships with the brokers, visiting those markets, and then just being patient for one to eventually meet all of our criteria. Cool. How did you go about finding that market? Because there's so many great markets so in America. Markets. Yep. How did so, you? I'm from criteria? Iowa originally. Yeah. I like Des Moines, Iowa. I went to college 30 minutes north of, of Des Moines. Still have family there. I was biased. I think Des Moines is a great tertiary market that's that's growing significantly. Dan's from Jacksonville, the Jacksonville area originally went to college there. So we started there where we had existing relationships. 
I had to be sold on Jacksonville and Dan had to be sold on Des Moines. So we sort of studied them independently and compared notes and realized, wow, these are two good markets that are in different phases of their sort of market cycle. And then Des Moines happens to be the market where we've gotten the most traction. We've done, we've done some deals. Awesome. So you're, you're in two markets, Des Moines and Jacksonville. Is that correct? We're focused on those two markets primarily. And we haven't done a deal in Jacksonville yet, but we're continually, we're long on Jacksonville. So we're going to stay focused on it. So when you said you haven't getting any traction yet, how do you then go up? How do you approach a market? So you do a bunch of, now you narrowed it down because for subjective reels and personal reasons, which I think is smart because otherwise you can throw darts out of out a spreadsheet all day long. So you narrowed it down, but then how do you actually get into a market? How did you go about doing that? Yeah, well, we visited it, right? So after we studied it and realized that we liked all, all the metrics about it, the population growth, the employment diversity, all the good things that you want to see in a market, we visited it. We, we spent four or five days there and we met all the brokers in person. We met several banks in person, reconnect with a lot of people that, that I know to kind of share the story of what we're, what we're going to be doing. And then just stay consistent, Michael. It's, it's provide feedback to brokers on their deal, underwrite everything that's on the market that's close to your buy box, and then just be consistent with the activity in that market. What do you mean by consistent? I mean, every day I was making a call to either a bank or a broker to ask them, you know, how it's going, what are they seeing in the market, anything new that they're working on that's off market. Just try to build those relationships, authentic relationships. And so we're doing it full time. It's kind of like, you know, everybody wants to try to get on the broker's list of, of people they bring off market deals to. My experience is that's not really how it works. They have so many people in their database, in their mind, in their sort of phone that most of the opportunities that I've gotten from brokers that are off market, if you will, are just because like the time was right. I was standing in a parking lot after after looking at a deal with them or happened to call them at the right time where they're like, you know what? Actually, I just got off the phone with this owner who's thinking about it. Or actually, there's this one that I heard is going to. So it's just more organic in that consistent communication and dialogue with the market where they're coming up versus like you're all of a sudden on this list that you know you get the magical off-market deals emailed to you. So it's about being consistent so I can stay on their radar. It almost surprises me how how brokers suck at their job. Like they don't call you. They get a deal. They're like, oh, let me call Greg and Dan. It's right in their buy box. Oh, yes. No, they don't call you. It's like oh. buy the buy. So you got anything? No. no. What about this submarket? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's oh yeah. Well, sure. I don't know. I didn't think of that. Exactly. Like it, it, just, it puzzles me how they actually are actually getting deals done. So if it's not you being consistent and talking to them all the time, no one would ever any do any kind of deal. So that's that's pretty cool. So, so what have you guys done since then? So you did you co GP three, which means you raised capital for another operator, and then you went out on your own. So, what have you guys done since then on your own? Dan, yeah, I'll let you talk about our first Des Moines deal. Since then, our first big acquisition in Des Moines was two hundred and sixteen units across two properties. Really fun story there. We found a property that was on market, and we did something creative that I think I stole from one of your modules, which was to create a video offer. So I made a, a commentary and I showed my underwriting and I said, here's my offer. I think this is a fair price given what I know. And I said, if I'm missing something, please let me know. That ended up getting a call back from a broker. Hey, that's interesting. The seller wants to know more. Long story short, Michael, that ended up getting a, a, a loan assumption on a 3.2% note with four years left mm. on a value-add deal. And then that seller, we interviewed and flew out and met with and he actually decided to put another property down the street that was off market. So then it became a portfolio purchase. On top of that, Greg and I really 
we think we're more boardroom guys than hammer swinging guys, right? So we really tried our best to optimize the deal structure, found some great partners there. So the, the sellers actually became JV partners on the deal long-term, put money into the deal, helped us guarantee the loan. And they're now operational partners in the Des Moines market that we're doing other deals with. Since then, we bought another 108 unit portfolio with them and are currently under contract on another 120 units that when LOI was accepted last week. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you see the law of the first deal really, really going in, in effect here. I mean, certainly it was precipitated by your co-GPing, right? But once you do that first deal in, in a market, it's like, it's like lights out. Which is awesome, and 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 back to your your point, you, know, you creating a loom video. Yes, it was, it's in our in our course, obviously, but it's it's another another way you can stand out from the rest of the crowd. I bet you no one is sending a loom video, and these brokers probably sent it to the seller, and yep. now the seller said, "Oh, these guys are pretty cool. They they sound intelligent. They're serious. They have a good team around them." And so that one thing then led to another and another, and to these off market deals, which is just uh, it's just just awesome. So what's what's next for you for you guys here? What are your your plans moving forward over the next, you know, two, three years? Well, we really like the beachhead that we have in Des Moines. We have great partners and we now are finally, finally, Michael, getting off market deals. Again, you know, we thought it was after one deal, you might get them. No, it's after you're a known entity in a market, right? So yeah. we're now getting true off market deal flow in Des Moines with some pretty attractive opportunities. And the other one is we're, we're hardcore on, on Jacksonville. We like the fundamentals. We just think it's overpriced and has been overpriced. So we're going to continue to underwrite deals and provide feedback. And as soon as we have a property that hits our buy box and our metrics, we're going to be very quick to purchase and start doing the same thing in Jacksonville. That's awesome. So what do you guys think is your biggest challenge right now, Greg? What, what do you think? Oh, biggest challenge. I think it's deal flow. Since we're doing this full time, especially, we get a little antsy in between deals because we're doing everything we can. But you know, there's only so much you can do. You don't want to force a deal. So we want to stay really patient and sort of disciplined with our underwriting. So that was that's been the biggest challenge is, you know, when we're not under contract on something, being patient and disciplined with getting into that next deal. Make sure that we don't stretch. It's easy to get excited for me, especially about a deal, trying to make find a way to make it work, get creative. How could this work? So it's just it's just being patient and and being consistent with our activities that are going to lead to deals, but patience isn't one of my strengths in terms of you know, because we, you know, we burned the boats, Michael, right? We've got some urgency around. I know. Uh, you pay the bills. In, in building yeah. our business. So we can't force it. Dan, what about one other challenge you can think of? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is the deal flow and, and getting things to underwrite. So I'll just go in deeper into that, which is that we have a really strong commitment to ourselves and our investment thesis that the properties will cash flow in the first year, which means you have to buy on positive leverage, which means I have to buy at a cap rate higher than my lending. And if lending is at 6%, that means they'll be buying at 6 or 7% cap rates. That's a challenge. However, they are there. And so again, it's a lot of patience. I think after that, Greg and I are also, we're scaling up our visions into what kind of properties you know we can purchase. And it's those strategic capital partners to not fund a, a $5 million purchase, but a 50 or $100 million purchase you know, as we move forward. So finding more of those large strategic capital partners that understand our thesis and agree with it, that's going to be the other you know big hurdle will clear. So Greg, parting advice, someone's listening to this or maybe watching on YouTube going, man, I, I surely would like to do something that you guys have done. What's your, what's your advice to, to that person? My advice is to network, to get out and meet people who are already doing it, you know, build relationships with people that are doing it. I mean, that's how it's, that's what my story was. I, I reached out to somebody at the end of a podcast who said, here's how you get a hold of me. And I just 
ask them to go to coffee. So, so my advice is to get to know people who are already doing what you see yourself doing in the future and just build a relationship and learn, learn from them. Love it. Dan, what, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to take that Robert Kiyosaki advice, which is work to learn rather than work to earn. As you're starting off, if you don't own apartment buildings, why don't you do a deal where you don't make as much, right? You, you do more work and you learn in the process and then you can become an expert. That's what we did early on to get, you know, to get into the business. So that's definitely my advice, work to learn. So what you're, what you're saying is when you, like when you co-GP'd, for example, maybe you got a little less than you think was fair? I think it was fair, but we definitely had a minority position, right? <laughs> Nowhere near, right? Someone else had the majority of that cap table, correct? Uh, so whereas that, now so we're in a position it, of, of having it. And yeah. that's actually really, really good because that value of that first deal far outweighs any, any money you could possibly make from that first, first deal dramatically. That's the lesson. The, the learnings that happened in that first deal far outweigh any money that we'll ever make on that deal. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. How, do, how can people connect with you and network with you? We're not really active social media guys. So honestly, LinkedIn is the best place. Dan Riley, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And then also measuredcapital.com. We do have a website that shows a very small you know, showcase of what, we're, what we've been doing. So for me, LinkedIn or, or our website, Greg? LinkedIn for me as well. Just Greg Danielson. Awesome. Hey, it's great jam with you guys. Thank you for sharing your story, how you guys got started and scale your portfolio. Super awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate your help. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode today because, man, we went deep on a variety of topics. We, we started in the beginning about limiting beliefs. How do you overcome that? How are you able to grapple with the idea of letting go for a job? How did you raise your first, the first money? How did you find your first deal? How did you find a partner? How did you split up your roles? And then how are you getting referrals when you're raising capital? How do you ensure deal flow? How do you get into a market? Man, we covered a lot of different grounds. So hopefully you guys have maybe re-listened to this podcast episode and take down some notes here. I mean, this was good stuff. Hope you guys really enjoy that. Now, if you listen to this thing and go, man, this is great, Michael, but this is a lot of work. I just want to invest with some operator. Certainly call up Dan and Greg there. I'm sure they'll be happy to listen to you and hear from you. But so would we at Nighthawk Equity. We have over 2,000 units that we're managing and we are always looking for opportunity. We'd love to share that with you. We'd need a phone call. We need to get to know you a little bit better. We're at nighthawkequity.com. Just click the join button and, and just schedule a call with us and we'll see what you're, what you're interested in, what we have currently that we can share with you. We'd love to share that with you. That's nighthawkequity.com. So just a reminder, everyone, that people are, they're telling me a lot that the market is, is too uncertain or the market is too hot. The market is too something. And every single week, we're shouting out people that have done deals. At DealMaker Live a few weeks ago, we had a whole stage full of people that had done deals over the last 12 months in an environment where most people said it can't be done. I'm just telling you, in every market I've seen since 2014, mostly hot, some down and mostly hot, people are always doing deals. So I want you to be encouraged by today's episode. I've also at DealMaker Live, just in general, there was a, a few people who came up to me and says, hey, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to really wait and see what happens. And I think that's a big mistake. Right now, we are getting a lot of opportunity. Dan and Greg are seeing in Des Moines, we're seeing in Atlanta. There's going to be some opportunity with operators who can't deal with a rise of interest rates, the expiring interest rate caps, and it's going to come your way. But you have to be ready to execute on it. So if you're a passive investor, you need to try to overcome your fear of investing. There's going to be amazing opportunities coming up. If you want to become an active investor, you want to be a GP, now is a great time to get your education. So check out our mentoring program at dmichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Get that started right now. We're going to get an amazing opportunity over the next 12 to 18 months 
and I don't want you to miss it. So hopefully you were encouraged by this. Let's do that deal. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault. 